This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation, and thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, and uplifting. Let's get right to it. Tanya Williams has worked hard over the past four decades to blaze a trail in the entertainment industry on both sides of the border, likely best known in the early stage of her career as Dr. Olivia Barber Hastings Winters on The Young and the Restless. She, 20 years ago, harnessed her acting experience and ignited her passion for activism by creating the now hugely successful Real World Film Festival. Tanya Williams joins us in conversation right now. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. It's my pleasure. So let's look back to last weekend. Uh, How did the festival go, and did you accomplish what you set out to do on the 20th anniversary? Oh, it went so well beyond our expectations, because as you know, this is the COVID year. This is the year that myself and so many other film festivals had to pivot to a digital platform, and we just didn't, we had to just reinvent everything. We didn't know how we could create, especially for the filmmakers, that sense that they were not just alone sitting in their apartments, but part of a, part of a festival and part of a community, and that they could network and meet people, and we were able to achieve that through a series of what we call our little digital mixers. So little small mixers with um, just, you know, 10 to 15 people broken up into rooms where they could really talk and get to know each other, even the filmmakers with each other. So it worked out really well. So the delivery was different this year because of COVID, but the goal that you had in mind 20 years ago and still have in mind now is the same. And what is that goal? The goal has been and will is now and continues to be getting black, indigenous, and people of color front and center, giving them access and opportunity, and not just any black, indigenous, people of color, Canadian. Our focus has always been only Canadian talent, and that is the talent that you know we want to bring to the, the forefront. And the films that we showed this year, we had 36 uh, Canadian films. Um, this year, and the audience just loved it. I think the digital platform also helped expand the audience because there were people outside of Toronto that got to see these films, and they wouldn't normally have, you know, driven into Toronto or flown in Toronto to see the festival. Why did you start this? Why did you create the Real World Film Festival in the first place? I think it came out of my own career. You know, I started back in the late 70s when there was it's even hard to say little. There was really almost no opportunity, and I was one of the fortunate ones. But even I knew by 1985 that I had to leave the country. There just wasn't enough opportunity for me to sustain a real career in Canada. But I felt sad that every time I would um, go back to Toronto, I would meet young people, and they weren't asking, you know, how can I expand my career in Canada? They just wanted to know how to get to the States. And that made me feel frustrated. So I wanted to do something that stopped that brain drain. We have great talent in Canada, and they, they shouldn't have to leave if they don't want to. Um, and, and real world, was that, the brainchild of that really came out of that. I love film festivals. I've been going to them since um, 1977 myself. So I think they're the best place for any creative to go to who's interested in the screen industries on if no matter what level you are in the in the industry in front of or behind the camera a film festival is really the best place where you can meet all kinds of really great people 
Tanya Williams, you are a tireless advocate for artists of color in the Canadian entertainment industry. Is that why accessrealworld.ca was created? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. When I started the festival back in, uh, you know, two th- well, the first inaugural was 2001, um, I had always wanted to have an accompanying database, but at that time the technology was so expensive we couldn't have afforded it. And every year I would keep asking the web developer, you know, give me, you know, give me an estimate of what this would cost. And finally last year it came in a price range that we could afford. So last summer 2019 I started working with a web developer out of Montreal. He's really fantastic and and we started to draft and shape and working with our partners, Telefilm, Canadian Media Fund, we worked with Canadian Media Producers Association, many of the guilds and the unions, and we all worked together to to shape what we we wanted, which was a database that is only for Canadian black indigenous people of color, so that the industry, productions and broadcasters who had for years been saying, you know, we want to create more inclusion, we want to create more diversity, but we don't always know where that talent is. We can't always find them. And this is now the way they can find them. AccessRealWorld.ca has just taken off. We launched it in July, and uh, now we have national commercials writing. We're very excited about this, and people are signing up. The only way you can get hired is if people can actually find you. Let's listen to the commercial that was just released earlier this week, shall we? Change the face of the entertainment industry. Production companies are looking to hire you on accessrealworld.ca, North America's largest hiring and networking database for Canadian black, indigenous, and people of color creatives. Get hired at accessrealworld.ca. Well, Tanya, that's very powerful. Uh, let's talk about how and, and why you crafted it the way you did. The Access Real World, absolutely. It's, we wanted to be very user-friendly. We wanted um, only people who are black, indigenous, people of color can actually join the database, but anyone can search the database. Um, we made it secure so that you, people can just send the artist a message directly. Um, they don't have to have an email address or whatever, so the, and the artist will receive that. And um, we have 98 categories, job categories, and we plan on including more job categories because, as you know, Anne, you've been in the industry a long time as well. There are so many jobs that people are not aware of in our industry. You know, construction and electrical and, you know, hair and makeup and um, even teachers that are used for um, a lot of actors who are under the age or who are younger. We have set medics. It's really quite wonderful. I think people are not aware just how much... Um, industry is in the entertainment industry. Let's talk personally now, shall we? I I know that parents can make a big difference in a person's life. Your parents in particular, your father was a Supreme Court justice, your mother a registered nurse and midwife, uh, both born in Jamaica, but they moved around and they allowed you to experience kind of a a global uh, understanding of, of the world. Talk to me about your parents and what they mean to you and meant to you. I, you know, I absolutely adore my parents and the and I love the way that they raised me actually because one, the first thing I always love to tell people is first of all they waited to have me. You know, they waited till their lives were at a position. They were almost 30, you know. That was 28 and 29 was considered old age to have a child back in my parents' time, but they wanted to make sure that they 
prepared for a child. They had one, me, <laughs> and then they gave me every opportunity they possibly could because they knew that especially as a black person in this world, I would need every bit of advantage that they could give me so that I could have a better life. And, and, uh, and not only was schooling a part of it, the extracurricular activities. They had me in ballet. They had me in piano. I took elocution classes when I was five. You know, they just, they really just opened up the world for me. And when, he, when we traveled, it was more that they wanted me to see the world. I mean, we went to Europe. We went to different places because they wanted me exposed to different cultures, different people. Um, so that you could, that was part of the education as well. Your mom brought you to Canada after your parents separated. You uh, grew up in Oshawa, and that has to have been a really cool experience. There's nothing like Oshawa, quite frankly. It has gone through ups and downs. It's had some challenges, but it is a wonderful place to put down roots. I love loved and still love Oshawa. It was fantastic. Now, you have to understand, I was coming from England. I was about 12 years old, and in my mind, Canada was like the TV show Bonanza. I thought there were just ranches and horses. That was what was in my head. So I was a little disappointed when I arrived in Oshawa, and I saw shopping malls, cars. <laughs> it looked like England. Um, but I settled in, and what was beautiful at that time, we're talking now 1970, 71 is when we arrived in Canada. What a great place for a kid to grow up. Oshawa was safe. You know, my friends and I could leave in the morning on a weekend, ride our bikes all over the place, come back, as, as dusk was happening and parents were comfortable, your kids were just safe. So I had a real freedom that I feel sad that a lot of young people don't have today because of all the issues and the problems that, you know, that, that are dangers that can be for children. But for me, I had a carefree, um, really kind of bohemian life <laughs> as a kid. We just went everywhere and did all kinds, got ourselves into all kinds of trouble. But, but good, fun, clean kids trouble. We are in conversation with Tanya Williams right now, actor, producer, director, writer, advocate, and a person who went through Ryerson University. I just think that is amazing. I was not trained as a, as a journalist or in drama. I just kind of pecked my way through to try to build a career. You took the studious route, and good for you. You were a part of the drama program at Ryerson University. What did that teach you? Oh, it taught me so much. Now, remember, remember the parents I'm coming from. So it's always been instilled in me, you know, to, to learn, to study, to train, um, because that's the journey that they took. So I didn't know even really any other way. Um, it's funny, though, that before I started Ryerson, I had already been working. So I had been doing some little commercials and doing some catalog work, but I never really thought of acting as a serious uh, career move. But while I was doing those commercials, I would meet actors who were very serious about their craft. And one thing I noticed, a lot of them had studied at different drama programs. So I um, applied at Ryerson, and it was tough. I don't know if it's the same. We had to audition to get into the program. So there were about 2,000 people that auditioned the year that I was there. They took 40 people from that. Um, I was the only black person in the in the the people that they uh, you know took that year, and then they even tell you on your first day that by Christmas they're going to cut half of you. Wow. So it is highly competitive, and it was um, 
you know, really stressful but really enjoyable too. But it taught me right away when you said, what do you learn? It taught me that this industry is competitive, that no one owes you anything, that you're not, you know, there, there's no, um, I don't even know what that word is, but there's no, no, no thing in your head that should make you think, oh, because I went to Ryerson, I should get a job. Um, there, you have to fight for every job. You have to fight for every opportunity. And, um, and that's, I still believe that's how the industry is today. That's why so many people can feel depressed about this industry. Is I, I think they're entitled. That's the word I was looking for. I think they're thinking they're entitled because either they've done a job or they've done a course. And it's good to know that there is only the, you know, you just got to work at it hard. It doesn't even mean that the best always succeed, but it does mean that the people who work the hardest always succeed. That's what I've seen. And it would be obvious that you worked hard at YNR, Young and Restless, as Dr. Olivia Barber Hastings Winters for many, many years. When did the passion for activism and advocacy come alive in you? Um, I was thinking about that the other day. I think it was alive from when I was a young girl. Um, my father, who was a barrister at the time, um, he never really treated me like a little kid. My father always spoke to me and treated me like an adult. I remember at 12, he gave me a book on Richard Nixon and the whole Watergate you know, thing, and then we discussed the issues. So talking about the issues of the world, um, that was definitely a part that my father instilled with me. And my mother, because she worked as a nurse and a midwife, the jobs she always loved to take were the jobs, especially when we went back to Jamaica, where she went into the poorer areas and helped women understand how to take care of their babies, how to feed them properly. She took me along with her, and she wanted me to always be raised in a way where I was comfortable in any social setting, where I was equally comfortable in areas where people um, didn't have as much as we did or were struggling more, and I was also comfortable in, in, in communities where people um, were well off. And she thought that was an important part of my education. So I think being an actor, you realize you realize the platform you have. You have a powerful voice. You have fans. You have people that listen to what you're saying. And it's a great opportunity to make use of that. And I would always speak out about the importance of the screens, television meaning and film screens, reflecting the diversity that is out there in the world. If you don't see yourself on screen, it's really quite shocking, And how many young people I've spoken to if you don't see someone that looks like you, there is a sense that you have no value, that the world doesn't care about you, that you're invisible. You know, and for centuries, that was the message that was sent. Um, you remember they talked about, oh, this is the first person to um, discover the North Pole. And because he was white, he was the first person. But they don't talk about the Inuits that were already living there, you know. Or they would talk about a Christopher Columbus discovering America like like indigenous people weren't already there. You can't discover something. It's like me coming to your house and saying, I found your house. And you're like, um, I've been living here. It's my house. I've been living here for a long time. So there's been a systematic move for centuries just to erase black indigenous people of color from history like they weren't there. But they were always um, there. The first guy to the to the uh, Mount Everest was not the first guy to Mount Everest. Um, Sherpas had been walking up there. They showed him how to get there. <laughs> so um, it's about that. It's about correcting some of those stories and making sure that the truth, that we use the, 
our stories for the truth with authentic voices. There is a quote on your website, and it is, Seek silence whenever and wherever you can. It is the purest truth. What do you mean by that? Well, not only am I, am I an only child, but I'm someone who thirsts for being alone. I love my time by myself. Um, I like sitting with nature. In the quietness, it's like my mind is still, and I can hear, I can process, I can think. Our world is just so much distraction. It's nonstop. It's, you know, the computers, and it's everywhere you have to go, and the people, and the crowds, and I, I, I feel like I'm in survival mode when I'm in that environment, but when it's totally quiet and I'm at peace, I'm no longer in survival mode. I'm in processing mode, you know, where I can think with a clarity that I cannot think, where I see things outside of myself more clearly. When you're in survival mode, you're just in yourself because you're just trying to get through the day. But when you're in that kind of a space, you're outside of yourself. And I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like, like a larger world issues become important to me in that quiet time. And just stilling yourself is important. You don't have to be moving all the time. We're not sharks. You know, we don't have to be thinking and creating and moving. Um, sometimes just being as still as possible, it can be really, first of all, it's healing mentally and physically it's healing. Uh, but creatively, it's vital. You are amazing. You're articulate. You are optimistic. Tanya Williams, founder, executive, and artistic director of Real World Film Festival, a powerful, passionate person on a mission to change the world around you. Thank you for joining us on In Conversation. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Anytime, Anne. As did I. Thank you so much. Coming up, a local mayor and her all-female council. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. October is Women's History Month. The theme this year is Because of You, honoring trailblazers, activists, and advocates who work to advance gender equality and push for change that will not only level the playing field for women in Canada, but also create leadership and advancement opportunities. A prime example of a 21st century trailblazer is Carol Moffat, the mayor of Algonquin Highlands Township here in Ontario. Welcome, Mayor Moffat. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So in 2018, voters in this province elected two all-female councils. One of them was yours, Mayor Moffat. Tell me what that meant to you and what that meant to your township. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a milestone for sure. And I think something that we all need to be proud of, um, you know, it's a celebratory moment or it was a celebratory moment. But on the other hand, we have to ask ourselves, how on earth in 2018 do we have to celebrate five women governing a small community? Uh, and I think the, the answer there is because uh, in spite of increased voices and, and shifting participation, the fact remains that women's opinions and perspectives have been, um, you know, shut down and trampled and still are all over the world for a long, long time. So, you know, one step forward, uh, let's not play into stereotypes. Let's just get a good job done for, for good reasons. 
Were there any adverse reactions, uh, responses in 2018 to the all-female council? No, there was a lot of uh, congratulations and there was a lot of silly comments, you know, chicks rule and way to go. Uh, someone referred to us as a, as a, a dandy coven of ladies who were going to make some change. But by and large, there was uh, broad support. Uh, I'm sure there were some naysayers here and there, but uh, we didn't hear too many of those voices. And uh, I think that's the fact that we didn't hear those naysaying voices is also a step forward. You know, history repeats itself. 50-plus years later, in 1967, the village of Tweed, Ontario, Barbara Allen was elected Reeve, leading Canada's first ever all-female council. What did you learn by reading about that experience? Yeah, that's a great story from from Tweed, and the story and the details in it were, uh, they were funny, uh, but also a bit sad and clearly indicative of how far we've come. For example, when they're talking about the women getting together and discussing tea and cookies as opposed to uh, community issues, uh, it really it really did uh, make a place where people thought women just couldn't do the job. You were elected councillor in 2006, then you became mayor in 2010, and uh, at that point uh, you were, it was uncontested uh, time and time again. Why were people not really willing to run against you for the role of mayor? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to say it's because uh, I, I have the respect of folks to do a good job, uh, but there's also a part of elected office that uh, that isn't very nice, and it's it can be very stressful. There's there still remains a lot of criticism. Social media, of course, is is taking things to the nth degree anymore. Uh, so it's just, it's not really a desirable job. People want to make change, but. Our positions are very poorly paid at this level. I mean, my I'm, I have no problem t- saying that my take home take home salary for being the mayor of this community last year was twenty nine thousand dollars, and so it's not a full time job that you can you can do much with. So people are really joining this job because they want to make a difference, not because they want to make an income. Thus, you have been acclaimed time after time. So I want to tell everyone listening right now, beyond being the mayor. You have several committee appointments, for instance, roads, emergency services, planning, tourism, Halliburton County Transportation Task Force, library board, waste management, policing advisory, health professionals, recruitment, and the list goes on and on. How do you find a balance? Where do you say, all right, I draw the line and I leave my work here and I go home to my husband and family and become Carol Moffat, the, the, the person? Yeah, Carol Moffat, the person and the and the photographer. So yeah, we all have to make sure that we make time for ourselves. Uh, it's a lot of concentration. People think that because you go to a couple of meetings a month that uh, you've done your job. It's like the duck pedaling underwater. All the all the action happens behind the scenes. Uh, I can tell you that I have struggled over many years with with finding that balance and turning off the switch. Uh, I've had some pretty interesting looks from my husband, and we've had some fairly interesting conversations. Uh, with family as well, and you really do need to just switch, like turn the switch off and make sure that you um, don't answer your phone or don't answer email. More and more I put autoresponders on email on the weekends now because there's really nothing I can do for someone on a Saturday afternoon that can't wait till Monday. Um, it, it really is about forcing yourself to find time for all the things that your life needs to have in it. You have been quoted as saying, we have a diversity of life experiences. You're talking about your council. Who are they? And I don't necessarily mean their names, but what do they bring to to council? 
You know, I'm glad you asked that. Our council, our youngest councillor is 40 and our oldest councillor is 72. Um, to our young moms, uh, one's a widow. I don't have any children myself. Uh, one woman is a potter. Um, another woman spent her life, the majority of her adult life, living in a far northern community. Uh, still another who just joined us recently um, was um, an international aid worker and worked in places like Afghanistan. And, and the fifth gal spent her life in banking. So you can imagine that group of people getting together and the perspectives that we each and all bring to the table is really exciting because no, no two of us are the same. We, we are each so individual from the other and facing different challenges from each other in our lives, our, in the stages of our lives, in our experiences, our family situations, our, our economics. Uh, it, it really is a diverse group that really, really brings a fresh face to uh, decision-making. Mayor Moffat, in your opinion, are you seeing enough women pursuing politics? Yes and no. There are lots of women who want to pursue politics. There's no question. Uh, but we still live in a world where there is harassment, and I'll say that out loud. There's harassment all the time. There's, there's disdain. There's rolling eyes. Uh, there are comments on clothing and hair to this day and age. Uh, and so, and the, as I said earlier, the pay is not that great. There are challenges, you know, at, at home with childcare and elder care, particularly with the sandwich generation. Women, more women need to get involved. More women need to understand, I don't say this negatively, but the game of politics, the thrust and parry of, of what politics is and how to move decisions forward and how to do the research. And there are a lot of organizations uh, that have have uh, have developed women's groups to help women understand politics better, and I don't mean understand conservative versus liberal versus the Green Party. I mean the the, the inner workings of of politics and how it all fits together, kind of like nesting dolls. So we need we need to do a better job of teaching people the ins and outs, uh, the nuances of of political life, and then encouraging people to step up where they can show their best their best side. October is Women's History Month. Let's talk about your future instead. What is it, Mayor Moffat? Well, I I don't know. There's an election in two years. Uh, in my life, personally, I've had some um, some substantial changes. I lost both my parents. I'm I'm I am married. I'm free now. From did a lot of elder care speaking. I know what I speak when I mention about elder care. Uh, and so I don't know. The election's in two years. It may be time for me to, to, to hang up my coat. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. I was once asked to run um, a federal party, called me a couple of years ago and asked me to run federally in this riding. And I, I, I laughed and said no, because I said, for all the reasons you think you want me to be in your party or all the reasons that in six months someone's going to say, she won't do what we want her to do, get her out of here. <laughs> so, uh, so there's no future in, in that regard for me, but... Uh, Two years from now, I just don't know. We'll have to wait and see. What do you say to women of all ages who want to reach for the stars? And that would be, in some cases, a position in politics. All women can reach for the stars and all women can get there. Uh, the path has been clearly paved for us to be um, around the table making decisions uh, for our communities. We are looking for... Uh, you know, good people to provide good representation that reflects our actual society, which is basically 50-50. So uh, women who are interested should reach out to a, a female politician they know of to uh, ask questions and to find a mentor and and don't go in cold. Uh, there's lots of opportunities to talk to people and learn from people. 
And uh, let's just keep going. Lots of women in politics now, and, and we need a lot more to better and more appropriately reflect our society. Carol Moffat, mayor of Algonquin Highlands Township here in Ontario, thank you for joining us in conversation. Thank you. Carol Moffat and Tanya Williams, two very different women leading the way and breaking new ground. In Conversation, let's do this again next week. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.